Good morning, friends. Good morning. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Um, such a joy to be able to be with you this morning. In the morning, honestly, I'm just so delighted. What a journey it has been and how lovely it is to be back in this light, bright building where we can slightly curve the chairs and sing at each other and generally just great. Love it. Um, and we've been reunited with coffee. We have caffeine. So massive thank you to everyone who made the caffeination of the church possible this morning <laughs> as a vital service, and we're ever so grateful. Um, for any of you who might not have met me, I'm Rachel. I'm the other half of the Jim and Rachel um, pastoral team. Um, he's the smiley one. I'm the punctual one. Um, <laughs> Well, I've just realized now I've said that, I've actually got quite a long sermon, so. Oh, okay, great. Um, anyway, this morning, um, we are continuing our sermon series in 1 John, and um, we've had some really great sermons in this series so far. Um, Toby's introduction was particularly helpful, I think, in setting the scene. Um, where he reminded us that John is writing to the early church because some people have started sharing some false messages and there's a risk that the early church are becoming confused about what's true and what isn't. So this is a helpful headline to hold on to as we walk through all of the passages um, in this book so that we can remember who it is John is talking to and why he's saying what he's saying. Sometimes it can be a bit tricky to work out what the main message of a passage is, what is going on here, what is the thing that I'm supposed to take away from this, I'm not really sure. Thankfully, that is not the case with this little passage. Um, the word love, or variants of it, appear 27 times in these 15 verses, and uh, a thank you to N.T. Wright who did that maths for me. <laughs> I did check. Um, so, I think the topic that John really wants to address in this passage is just that. He wants to talk about love, with the subtopics of reminding us just how much God loves us, and how, having received God's perfect love, we, his people, are to love one another. So this morning, we're just going to walk through the passage, taking a couple of verses at a time, so you'll probably find it helpful to keep the passage open as we walk through, so you can keep track of what I'm saying. This morning's passage, then, is 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, which, for the keen eye among you, overlaps a couple of verses from the end of Caitlin's sermon last week, but I don't think she'll mind. Let's read the passage together, shall we? Should appear on the screen. Amazing. Thanks, Morag. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, 
And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loves us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Did anyone count the loves in there? <laughs> it's probably fairly clear to us then, now that we've heard this passage, that love is definitely the topic of the day. And I think before we get into the passage, it's probably, making, probably worth making sure we're all on the same page about what John means by the word love. Both Caitlin and Alistair did an excellent job of this over the past couple of weeks, so I'm just going to repeat what they said. Why do a job twice? <laughs> Caitlin reminded us that love here isn't anything to do with romance or Hallmark movies. Instead, it's about being gracious, kind, and sacrificial. And Alistair reminded us that this kind of love is about giving of ourselves for the benefit of those around us. It's not an overflow of feelings, it's a habit to grow in, of loving the unlovable, of sharing our time and our money for the sake of our brothers and sisters. And another point that Alistair made so well a couple of weeks ago that I'm also just gonna repeat, is that when John talks about loving one another in this passage, it's an instruction to the church, to us, to love one another within the body of Christ. We of course know that the Bible tells us to love others as well, but the primary message of this passage is for the body of Christ to love one another. We might think, why so much focus inside the church? Shouldn't we be mostly looking outside the church? Well, yes we should, but if we picture two families sitting round their dinner tables one evening, sharing a meal, one family is passing food up and down the table, talking about their day, offering words of encouragement, just generally having a lovely time. And the other family is sat in a bit of an awkward silence. There's some tension in the air, the occasional snide comment flying from one to the other. Really wish you would stop feeding me Brussels sprouts, they're awful. <laughs> Which of those two tables would an outsider rather pull up a chair and join? The point is this, when we love each other well inside the church, we're both honoring God in our midst and creating a community that others want to be part of, that welcomes them in and points them to Jesus. What we do within our church community, how well we treat one another within our family, has a significant impact on how well we love and reach those who are not currently part of our family. Okay, enough stealing everyone else's sermons and onto the actual passage. 
Verse 7 then starts with an instruction and then the reason for that instruction. The instruction is that we, God's people, are to love one another. And the reason is because love comes from God. And if we know God and are born of God, then according to John, the natural result of that is that we should love like God does. It makes sense. If we have met God, discovered and experienced his love for me, and been born again by the Spirit as a new creation, rooted in him like a branch in a vine, then we should be filled with and flowing with his love. That means that John goes on to observe that whoever doesn't love does not know God, because God is love. God's love is not just a nice extra, it is central to who he is. So if we're not loving like God does, there's a danger we're not actually in a relationship with him at all. We just cannot separate God from the love that he has for us and that flows through us. God is love. But if we do love like God loves, in that self-giving way that Caitlin and Alistair both talked about, then whether we know the full reality of what we're doing or not, we're living in relationship with God, born of God, knowing him. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So this offers a challenge to us. Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is a real non-negotiable of our relationship with God. In fact, if that love isn't there, there can really be no relationship with him at all. It is that crucial. This is also a test that John offered the church to help them discern whether a messenger was from God or was one of the false teachers that he was warning against. Does this messenger love like God does? If yes, it seems more likely that they're from God after all. If not, then it's likely they aren't. As Caitlin also said, we can still use this test today to weigh up the ideas coming at us from all over. Does this message, this comment on social media, or this action smell like the sacrificial love that God modeled for us? If yes, it's likely of God. If no, it likely isn't anything to do with him. On to verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, how do we know that God loves us? Jesus. God showed us exactly how much he loves us by sending his only son, Jesus, into the world to be perfect love in human form, pointing back to the Father and his love for us, and then to deal with our sins on the cross so that we can enjoy a relationship with God, our Father. This is also John directly refuting the messages of the false prophets. He's saying, no, Jesus really was the Son of God. He really was sent into the world to show his love to us. And he really did die for our sins. It really matters that Jesus is who he says he is. 
And it matters that he came after us, as Caitlin said last week. If these things weren't true, then everything we think we know about God, we've got to forget. These two verses tell us three things about the kind of love God has for us. They tell us that God's love is sacrificial, that it brings life and not death, and finally, that it doesn't rely on us loving him first. God loves us anyway. If I could pick one thing for you to remember from my sermon this morning, it would be this. God loved you first. And God loves you whether you love him or not. This is a really, really good reminder for those times where we might fall into the trap of thinking that we need to earn God's love. When we think we need to have spent a certain amount of time with him for him to answer our prayers. When we think we need to do X, Y, or Z to earn his favor. He loved us first. And there's thankfully nothing we can do that will make him love us any less. So, perhaps the next time you sit down to spend time with God, remember that you are welcome in his presence always. He delights in spending time with you. And he has done all the groundwork needed for you to meet him there. Moving on to verses 11 and 12, we switch from what God's love looks like to why it matters so much that we love each other. Why is it so important that we, God's people, love one another? It's because he loved us first. God loves us anyway, like we've just said, but our best response to his love is to let it flow into and through us and then out towards one another. Now, loving each other just like God does with all of the grace and sacrifice that that involves is really nice and easy for me to stand up here and say. And it's a whole other challenge to actually live that out. But remember, not only does God set us an example of how to love, he also, thankfully, gives us the power to do it. There is perhaps unsurprisingly to you, no way that I in my own strength could love people anywhere near as much or as well as God does. And so I look to him and I ask him to please guide me and strengthen me to love. And I can tell you from experience that that is a prayer that he loves to answer. Make you more of a loving person, Rachel. I'd love to, says the Lord, probably. (laughs) No one has ever seen the fullness of God, says verse 12. So that means we can really only know what God is like by looking at Jesus. God in his fullness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gave us a clear demonstration of his love by sending God the Son, Jesus. And he wants to make that demonstration of love complete through us. And that happens when we filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, love one another and point each other back to him. God reveals himself to each of us through Jesus and we point each other back to God through our love and round and round we go. God's love cannot be complete if we just keep it all to ourselves. 
We are God's primary vehicle for sharing it all around, and we are the carriers of God's love to each other and then out into the world. In verses 13 to 16, John is helping his readers to understand how they can be sure that they are living in God and he in them. Remembering that John is writing this letter because there are people who have started teaching things that aren't right, there's likely some confusion among the early church about what's true and what isn't. So John is here to remind them of what they probably already know deep down. He's reminding the church that they know the Father sent the Son, his Son, to be Savior of the world because they've seen this for themselves. John actually got to sit with Jesus physically, so his experience is firsthand, whereas the church he's speaking to didn't get this opportunity. But they can be sure that God lives in them in the same way that we know that God lives in us because we have the Holy Spirit to both guide us in the direction of the truth and also to give us supernatural reminders that he's there and he's working. In case you're wondering, how on earth do I know that God has given me his spirit? Well, do we sense the spirit working within us or not? Do we notice his closeness when we pray? Do we feel his presence during worship? Do we have a thought or idea that feels like it's come from outside of ourselves? Do we get a nudge to spend time with someone we think might be lonely? These and a million other seemingly mundane things are the Holy Spirit living and working within us. The other way that they and we can know whether God lives in us is simply whether or not we would say that Jesus is the Son of God. Those who say Jesus is God's Son have God living in them. Those who claim he isn't the Son of God do not have God living in them, which is another handy way this early church could work out whether a messenger was from God or not. If they deny Jesus as the Son of God, you can ignore everything else they say. Next. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that if we acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, then we live in God and we know and rely on his love for us. What does that mean? I think knowing God's love is something that looks slightly different for everyone. We can know God's love through the Bible by learning how he has constantly walked with and rescued and forgiven his people throughout time and by seeing how amazing Jesus was with people. We can also know God's love through the prayers and actions of others. And I think that's why God is part of, I think that's part of the reason why God is so keen for us to love one another well because this is often the most tangible sense we get of just how much God himself loves us. And to rely on God's love means to be sustained by it. It means we don't look for our security in other people or our financial or social standing, but instead in the love God has for us. It's the joy of remembering that we are each precious enough to God that he would send his son into the world to repair our relationship with him. 
Verses 16 to 18 offer another test to work out whether we're living in God or not. Are we loving? If God is love, and Jesus is love incarnate, and we are to be like Jesus in the world, there is no other option but for us to love one another. Verse 18 tells us more about the nature of this love. It says, there is no fear in love. And the reason there's no fear in love is that God has done away with any punishment we might deserve. When we make mistakes, we no longer need to fear the consequences because God has dealt with that for us through Jesus, all because of his huge love for us. God has invited us into a loving relationship with him, where rather than having a strict figure glaring down at us for heaven, from heaven every time we so much as contemplate doing something unholy, what we actually have is a loving Father in heaven who says to us, yes, I know you've made mistakes. I know you're not perfect, but I've dealt with all of that and I'm here to embrace you and not punish you. You don't have to be afraid. Last September, I was woken up early to a frantic knock at my front door. Staggered out of bed to discover one of my neighbors looking terrified and in tears on my doorstep. The handbrake on her car had failed in the middle of the night sometime, and her car had rolled down the hill, and picking up a fair bit of speed, it had crashed into our car. And the two cars were, let me tell you, wedged together at the bottom of the hill, not looking in a very good state. (laughs) The neighbor and I swapped details, I told her not to worry, gave her a hug, and we parted ways. The next day, she appeared at our door with a card and a box of chocolates, which I thought was a bit odd. But she wanted to say thank you to me for not being angry with her about what had happened. I realized that a good amount of her panic on the doorstep that morning was because she was afraid that she might somehow be punished for what had happened. But that would just have seemed ridiculous to me. It's just a car and accidents happen. Now, my love is, let me tell you, a very, very long way from perfect. But by reacting without any kind of anger and doing my best to love her in that moment, her fear was gone because love does drive out fear. I think Unfortunately, a lot of us do live in fear of other people's angry reactions to our mistakes, and sometimes even within the church, because that's just often a symptom of living in a broken world, where people get angry and we're kind of keen to find blame and punish people. But God has modeled a better way for us, one where we are loved perfectly and don't have to fear any punishment from him. So, How about if those of us who have known God's gracious, forgiving love worked to share that around within the church and outside of it too? This week, could we perhaps pay special attention to how we react to others, particularly when they make mistakes? Could we ask ourselves whether we're causing fear through our angry reactions or being like Jesus in this world and trying to model his perfect love to cast out that fear. Loving others just like he first loved us. And just to round off the story about my neighbor, 
The unfortunate incident with our car turned into the beginning of a really lovely friendship. She regularly pops over for coffee after work now. We have a lovely time talking about anything and everything, stuff that matters, stuff that really doesn't. And she's shown an interest in maybe trying church one day. I would definitely rather the car thing hadn't happened, but I'm really pretty pleased with the friendship that has come out of it. Love casts out fear. Now in verses 19 to 21, we're back round to John repeating that we love because God loved us first. So this is just another opportunity for me to hammer home this morning that God loves you anyway. Our love for him might ebb and flow. It might not even be there at all. But none of that changes how he feels about you. He's honestly besotted with you. John then has some fairly stern words in verse 20, saying that anyone who claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Yikes. John couldn't be clearer here that there's simply no option to love God and hate a brother or sister at the same time. And then he adds, whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. How can I hate someone who has an active relationship with God, with God in them, and also love, at the, and also love God at the same time? I can't. I've gone wrong. Either the hate is real or the love is real. If we have truly received God's love and we have truly understood what he has done for us out of his love, then that must surely pour out onto others even if they might not look like they deserve it very much. So, even if some of us are still really quite annoying and still quite broken and still prone to hurting each other, we just cannot find ourselves in a position where we hate someone who is an image bearer of God and carries his presence. Because that's a fairly big red flag that we don't actually love God and aren't partnering with him in loving those around us. Again, this might seem completely impossible, but remember, God never asks us to do this in our own strength. He's shown us what to do, and he's given us the power to do it. And that brings us to the end of our walk through today's passage. So, as we come into land, there are a couple of drums that I would like to bang from this passage one more time, if you'll permit me. My first drum is this that we are to love each other because God loved us first. We simply cannot love one another without being plugged in to love himself. So if you're here and you're trying but struggling to love your church family, then can I recommend going straight back to God, telling him how hard it is to love that really annoying person and asking him to show you how and empower you to do it. And if you're someone who's forgotten or didn't know that God loved you first, then I want to hammer that home to you today. There is nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you less. And you can't achieve your way into God's love. 
All you have to do is be, and he will love you a lot. More than you can wrap your head around, in fact. The second drum I want to bang is that God's perfect love casts out fear. No matter what state we're in, we are in, regardless of what we've done or not done, you don't need to be afraid of God. Any punishment you think you might be owed has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross, and God is right there, ready to welcome you into his arms and begin a relationship with you if you don't already have one, or reset your relationship with him if that's what you need. This passage of 1 John is a good and quite repetitive reminder of the importance of love, of how much God loves us, of the sacrificial and life-giving nature of that love, and how important it is that we, the church, therefore love one another. And this loving one another business might be a very tall order, but we're reminded that we can do this because God loved us first. He set us an example, and he empowers to live empowers us to live by these scarily high standards. God is love, and we are to be like Jesus in this world. So let us work to bring in God's kingdom more and more by lavishing one another with God's life-giving love, casting out fear round every corner and being the best signpost to Jesus that we can possibly be. Why don't you stand and I'd love to pray for you. Father, I pray that you would let it settle in our hearts this week that you loved us first. For any among us that might have forgotten that, I pray that that would be truth refreshed this morning. I pray peace for anyone who feels like they need to work for God's love. And I pray that you would teach us and empower us to love one another well within the church. Father, through our love, would you make us the best possible signpost back to you for each other and also for those of us who don't know you yet? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and would you make us more like Jesus in this world? Amen.